I wish y'all could high five, but air high five somebody and say, get ready for a good one. Come on, tell them. Say, get ready for a good one. I want to hear you say it. Get ready for a good one. Get ready for a good one that is much different than I had planned. I want to set myself up and set you up for success in understanding what we are going to do today. I am going to do a series for the next several weeks, um, most likely up until Easter, that is going to be a lot different. I'm going to have other people help me certain weeks. Um, Leah will help one week, and I know of at least one other person that I think is supposed to help me another week. Um, but I have the outline and the idea, and I, it's much different than anything I've done in the past as far as relationships go. But I need all the English majors and the people that love the English language to calm down for one second because I intentionally spelled real Asian chips. Half of y'all that aren't good at spelling don't know that that's spelled wrong, <laughs> right? But that's not how you spell relationships, right? But here's the goal. So let me just lay it out for you. The goal is not that I blow your mind with how much I know about relationships or marriage because I'm not going to be able to anyway, but that we can be, y'all say this word with me? Say it loud. Be real. We want to be real. We want to take off the mask. We want to take off the fake. We want to take off the what you're supposed to be or someone told you you were supposed to be because it doesn't work anyway. Can y'all tell me the truth and say yes? It doesn't, right? So we're just going to get rid of all that and we're just going to throw out the truth. We're going to put our cards on the table together and we're going to be real together. Now, the title of today's message is the, what's that word? Single solution. Single solution. Because in relationships, the thing that you should start with is being single, right? <laughs> no. Right. Matter of fact, this is probably if someone was to come in and give feedback on what you should and shouldn't do, this is what they would tell you not to do. But I'm not concerned with that because I'm confident that this is the word that we need today. So people at home, there you are, and people in the room today I'm super excited for y'all because I'm going to tell y'all something. This is just straight from my heart. I wish someone would have told me this when I was 15. I wish someone would have told me this when I was 20, when I was 25, when I was 30, and now I'm 40, and I am going to tell y'all, right? Because I think it's true. I believe it to the depths of my being that I believe this to be true, and I believe it can change your life. But what I'm starting this series off with is this idea. It is much better to be single than to be married unhealthy. It is much better. I'm going to say this again. It is much. I'm going to say much better. Some of y'all can say amen because you agree with me to the highest level. It's much better to be single, especially healthy single, than to be married unhealthy. Now, I don't know why this is, but this is part of the setup. Why is it that we were taught or, or grow up believing that even if we're unhealthy, if we find Mr. Right or Miss Right, we're going to be all right? Why is it that we believe that? Come on, tell me the truth. Is that not the truth? We, we think to ourselves, well, I got this broken place in me, but if I can just find the right person, all of a sudden I can be right. Am I right? Married people in the room, talk to me. It ain't right. It don't work. 
Because there's this, there's this magical thing that we set up when it comes to relationships, especially one day having a union, husband and wife. When, when it comes to marriage, we think, oh, if I just hang in there, one day I'll, I'll get swept off my feet and it's a fairy tale and we're happily ever after. And it just ain't. It's not. It's crazy. It's hard. No one told us this. They give us all this dream stuff. And even they'll give us the Bible. Preachers will, will say, like, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And, and wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And that's awesome. Praise God. But what? But it doesn't work. What do I do with it? Why is it so difficult? The truth of the matter is, on your own, look at me, on your own, by yourself, isolated and lonely, you're not whole and complete. That you were lacking. And that's the human condition from the very beginning. So the, so the idea of wanting companionship is not this crux that is, is wrong. It's not, this, it's not this crazy idea that no one should ever have. We've just got it backwards because we've been trained to believe that the solution is marriage. Listen to me. It ain't. <laughs> it makes it a whole lot worse. I'll say this. In math, two halves make a whole, young people. In marriage, two halves make a, whoa, <laughs> baroque. Come on, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So look, I'm going to set this up with a verse that does not go with my message on the surface. Genesis chapter 2, God's created Adam out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into the dust, made Adam. By the way, Adam actually means man from the dirt. I think that's pretty cool, but it has nothing to do with a message. I just want to throw it out there. And then he gave Adam some responsibilities, and he's looking, and it's all good except for verse 18. He says, the Lord said it is not good. Someone say not. It's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So if you just read the Bible casually through it, you probably would take this verse and say, everybody should get married. I mean, it's logic, right? The Bible says it's not good for the man to be alone and he should find a helpmate. And, and then if you keep reading, we know that the helpmate was Eve. So he made woman to fit with Adam perfectly. Here's the problem. If you're not careful and you read the Bible just, just skimming through not to dig in, you'll believe that that's true for you. Some will say, this ain't me. It ain't, and it's not Mark either. Why? Because it was not good for this man to be alone because he was in Eden. This is before sin. This is before anything, the fall had not happened yet. Adam and Eve had not eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So here's what I need y'all to know about the Garden of Eden. You can think whatever you want. You can think what the trees look like. We're not going to get bogged down on the stuff that we can't prove or unprove or whatever. Here's what I can tell you for sure. If you go looking for it, you're not going to find it. Even though in there it says the Tigris and Euphrates were there, and you can find the Tigris and Euphrates today in Iraq. I don't know if y'all have seen the news over the last however old you are, but it doesn't appear that Iraq is the Garden of Eden. Come on, somebody. I get pretty rough over there. Because it's not a physical location, excuse me, it was the presence of God in a place. The dwelling place of the Lord, he walked with us. He was with us. The, the presence of God was constantly there. In the cool of the night, Adam and Eve walked with God. It was wonderful. And then sin came in the world. See, Satan's dirty little trick to Adam and Eve wasn't to get them to do bad stuff. It was to try to get them to discover what all things could be without God. The knowledge of good, someone say good. 
That don't sound bad, does it? The knowledge of good and evil was what led them to have to be pushed out of the garden. Because he told them, eat from any tree that you want except for this one thing. Don't eat from the knowledge of good and evil because it's not for you to know. You have to believe me. You have to believe the things that I say about you. It is not good for you to know these things outside of my presence. See, once they ate from the wrong tree, they were kicked out because they couldn't eat from the right tree. The right tree is life. So all of a sudden, eternity, those two trees were eternal. And all of a sudden, they had to be kicked out so that they could have the hope and possibility of restoration and redemption in Christ. Otherwise, we would all be condemned to die forever and ever. So it was an unbelievable blessing to be kicked out of the garden for Adam and Eve. However, they were no longer, no one was any longer this man. We were now people who exist outside of the presence of God because in the Old Testament, if you study it, the presence of God existed in one place, in the Holy of Holies. In the temple, inside the, whole, the most holy place, the high priest could go in there once a year, but they would get up to and worship. They knew the Ark of the Covenant was in there. That was the place where God's presence was, but we couldn't go in. We couldn't have ready access to him. We had to go through a priest. Here's the good news. We still have to go through a priest, but his name is Jesus. And now this has become the Holy of Holies where God dwells. But watch this. But that doesn't make me automatically that man. I'm still this man, the wrong man, if I'm not careful. Because I get full of my pride and full of my education and full of my stuff. And the only thing that I can see is what you aren't and what I am but not in Christ. Because it's difficult to actually be what God says that I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to walk with him is a whole lot easier to get religious and full of myself. So the, here's the truth. I'm, it's, it's not good for us to be alone either, but, but the Lord left us another helper. Someone say helper. He left us another one. Here's what Jesus said in John 14. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the, say it. Say it loud. The helper. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all that I have told you. So in other words, what you can't remember, the Holy Spirit will bring up to you because the helper in the Old Testament and New Testament languages, these words are synonymous. They're the same idea. The, the helpmate, the one that comes beside. It's not good for you to be alone, but it's not just a woman that a man needs now. It's not just a man that a woman needs. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the paracletos that comes beside me, inside me, filling me. That's what I need. And in John 16, this is what Jesus said. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage, which is totally opposite of what we think. It's better when I go. Like everybody thinks it would have been a whole lot easier if Jesus would have stayed and we could have seen him in flesh. And he said, nope, actually, I can only be in one place while I'm in the flesh. But when I go, I'll leave my spirit for you. Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. So what we need is still the same thing that Adam needed, but we have to get back what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. And most of us go through our lives and we think, I got it licked. Now I need a spouse. Now I need companionship with another human being. But that is not what we need first. What we need first is to be right in him. And if we're not... Look at my face. I'm about to show you in the Bible. We don't need to get married.
It's okay that I ain't got any amens. Because I know some of y'all aren't married and you're thinking, he's being mean. I promise I'm not. You'll thank me later. Believe me. You'll thank me later. The worst thing we can do is go into a marriage broken, believing that it will make me whole. Broken people break people. It's not the other way around. And most of the time we think they'll help me and they'll pull me up. But when we are human being, and we are, newsflash, they're going to have bad days. Newsflash, it's not all about me. And if you can't go all in completely whole, not perfect, you are human. I'm going to tell you a couple stories in this message of how not perfect Mark Pangle is. But the goal is not perfection, it's to build each other up and make each other better in marriage and in relationships. But you can't do that by throwing Bible verses at people. Did you hear what I said? I don't care how much of the Bible you know. I care how much of the Bible you do. And if you're doing it, you're not trying to tell everybody and proving it. Because those who are confident don't have to prove themselves. They're proven in Christ. So we walk in it. So the truth, this is what I want to ask today. Why is it so hard to be happily married? Because I know I'm not supposed to teach this. I know what I'm supposed to teach is marriage is going to be awesome. It's the best. But I have had, I'm not exaggerating, in 20 years of ministry, I've had dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of conversations in my office or different offices. And I've wept with people and I've been broken for people and I've been hurting for people. And Leah and I have been in those same offices on the other side of the, of the conference, on the other side of the person that we needed help from. You know what I've never done? This is not in my notes. You know what I've never experienced in my life when people are having premarital, postmarital, whatever, counseling and they need help? I've never had a couple look at me and say, I'm the one that's wrong. I never see their needs. I never look at it. And then the other one does this and I'm going, why are we here? I've never had that happen. Ever. Someone say never. You know, those are key words never to say in marriage. Like don't say never and always. But in this case, I can say it because literally never has happened. Why? Because we don't think about them when we are hurting. We think about me. That's why it's difficult. I'm going to show you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. This is not in the Bible according to most people because you don't preach this. I want you to be free from anxieties. What does anxiety mean? Separated from wholeness. It's literally the Greek word that means my, my reasoning side and my emotional side of my brain, how I think and how I, how I feel. The word anxiety means to be separated. Peace means to be whole. Be anxious for nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication. Present your request to God in the peace of God which passes all understanding, guards my heart and mind. I'm able to be whole when I cast it on Jesus. But this is what Paul said. I want you to be... I want you to, to be free from being unwhole, being unfit, being, being unsettled and always being broken. The unmarried or single man is anxious or has their full focus about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. Y'all need to listen. This isn't every married man. This is normal married men. This does not have to be you, men. This does not have to be you, ladies, who are married. But it is more likely that married people have this as a problem because I'm now torn in half. Should I do what she wants or should I do what the Lord wants? You're like, well, that shouldn't be the case. They should want what the Lord wants. They do until they're broken. And the reality is the greatest woman and the greatest man on the planet Earth that has ever lived 
are broken at some point. So you are fighting a battle of helping their unwholeness, their unhealthy spirit, while trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit and do what he's called you to do. It is much more difficult, according to Paul, to walk in your calling and purpose if you're married, even if they're good people, because you have to juggle different loyalties. Look what it says. The married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife, and his interests are, say this word. Say it loud. How many of y'all know that in math, division works? In marriage, it doesn't work too well. Matter of fact, Abraham Lincoln quoted Jesus. A house divided against itself will not stand. Did y'all know he quoted Jesus or did y'all think he originated that? Y'all help me. He didn't. A kingdom divided against itself will crumble. It is impossible for division to end up well until two people submit themselves to God and humbly begin to think about other people before themselves. If you're not married, you're thinking about your friends. If you're not married, you're thinking about your family. But you have not become one flesh before God, submitting yourself for the rest of your life until you say, I do. Look at my face. Until you can say, I do whole, say, I don't. I ain't got one aim. I can't get no help today. <laughs> Until you are not whole, or excuse me, rewind. Until you are whole, say, I don't. Why? Because you will be divided your entire life and divided people divorce people. I'm not mad at anybody that's been divorced. I'm trying to give you some hope. You are not the exception. You are the rule. We divorce people because we're broken people. You're not bad. God has great possibilities for every man and woman listening to this message that's been divorced before. He's not angry with you. I just want you to see it's better to not get married until you're whole. Now, I'm telling y'all something. I'm so excited about this series because marriage is amazing, and it can be wonderful. But we ain't going there today. We're going to set it up, and we're going to get the good stuff. You know what I think of when I think of this? Amos 3.3. How can two walk together unless they agree? Agreement is not we have the same opinion. Agreement is, I don't care if your opinion's different than mine. My heart is linked to yours, and I believe about you what God says, and I would rather walk in agreement and harmony, unified in Christ, than argue about silly stuff and let that be a hill I'm going to die on. Y'all better listen to me today, young people. If you can learn which hills to die on and which hills not to die on when you fight, it will save you when you're 40. Why didn't someone tell us this? Come on, old people, y'all better say amen to me. Why didn't someone teach us how to fight? Because guess what? I'm going to tell you about a fight that we had Thursday. Thursday? You're preaching. Well, yeah, I'm human too. And it was a good one. It was a keeper. But we have to learn how to. And we have to learn what to fight about. And we have to learn when to and how to submit. Well, I don't like giving in. You do better than I do from a personality standpoint. I'm the most stubborn person I've ever met. A jerk. Thank God my wife's not in here yet. Because she'd be amen and if nobody else does. Right? It's hard. It's hard to be me. It's hard to be real. Because I'm a jerk to people when I'm not healthy. And all I want to think about is, God, why'd you forget me? L Laney, why'd you do this? Hasten, why'd you do this? Leah hears it the loudest. All my friends. Woe is me. What's wrong with them? I want you to see James chapter 1 and see how amazing 
James breaks this down for us because if you just read James, I think you would miss the point. If any of us lack wisdom, let us ask, but do not doubt. Because if we doubt, it it actually says, I think, in the verse, let us ask in faith. That word, ask in faith, means to ask and believe whatever he says is true, no matter what it looks like outside. But do not doubt. Now, I know that if you're like me, what you think of when you think of doubt is I can't have any thoughts hit the back of my mind that are anything contrary to what is true in God. If that's the case, we're screwed. Did y'all hear me? This is the real series, so I'm using language like screwed. Religious people, you're going to hate the series anyway, so just go with it. It doesn't mean never have bad thoughts or never have thoughts contrary to God. It means don't let them settle in and begin to believe those things. Why? Here's what it says. Let them ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave crashing back and forth that is tossed and driven by the wind. For a person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord because the person that doubts and lets doubt settle in. By the way, that word for doubt literally means in every room you agree with whatever they say. With whatever they say, you're like a schizophrenic. I'll agree with the Democrat. I'll agree with the Republican. I'll agree with this. I'll agree with this. It doesn't mean that I have to agree with one side or the other. It means that doesn't define me. When I say agree, I mean that becomes my opinion, and I'm now emotionally swayed. Who cares which side you are except God's side? It means that that I can easily have my opinions go back and forth and back and forth like a ping pong table, back and forth, like the wind constantly swaying me back and forth. I have no backbone. Watch, here's what the word means. I have no confidence. That's what we started this whole thing with. I am who he says I am. He's crowned me with confidence. Undefeated. This person is defeated in everything that they do. Why? Because they have zero confidence because they have to prove themselves every single place that they go into. They are unstable in all their ways. Double-minded literally is back to that word anxious. This causes instability. This is literally the definition of double-minded, that my reasoning and my emotions are at war with each other and I can never be settled and be whole. Well, as soon as that's who I am, Not only are we talking about marriage now, but you don't want a relationship with me in any way, shape, or form. Why? Y'all just have to take your religious hat off for a second and let me be me, because I'm going to needle. If you're around people that have to prove themselves to you, they constantly have to name drop to prove themselves of who they've been around in the last week or two weeks. It's exhausting. You're with a person like, I was with so-and-so. Who cares? I don't even, I don't care about so-and-so. I'm trying to talk to you. And constantly, every single conversation is trying to make you know how much they belong in that room. And you think to yourself, if if I could ever just get the real you and you could take the mask off, it'd be life-changing for both of us. Well, that's frustrating in any room. Y'all better look. But what about marriage? Because if you got to wear a mask in your marriage and prove who you are to your spouse, you say, yeah, but you don't know her, Mark. She's just this way. I'm telling you something. I don't think you should ever be hateful. But if you got a girlfriend that is trying to tell you to be something that you're not, you ought to run for the hills, boys. If you got a, if you got a girlfriend that's trying to tell you, run for the hills. If you got, if you got anybody that's trying to tell you to be something that you are not in Christ Jesus, you run. Why? Because they're trying to make you unstable in all your ways. And they think they like what you were going to be when they point out all the stuff that you're not. 
Someone, someone say out loud, it don't work. Why? God will fix, that's not the word, change my heart every single day and, and make me new. Because God's goal is not for me to, to become the thing that you want me to be, but the thing that he wants me to be, which is a reflection of his glory. So if I'll just submit myself to him, he'll change me a lot faster than your opinion will. But most of the time, people that want to change people the most, y'all listen, are the people the most unstable. Why? Because if I can't get balanced myself, misery loves company, I want to make you unbalanced. I don't like that you can stand on your own on the rock. So I'll call out all the stuff. This is where I'm going to needle, so y'all just lean in and do a Hail Mary, whatever you got to do to feel good about yourself. <laughs> and we love to get religious, don't we? Because we love to quote scripture if you're saved and think, if I can tell them what to do, I'll feel better. If we gave ourselves the advice that we give everybody else when it comes to the Bible, it would change the game. If I'm constantly texting Bible verses out for my best friends that I want them to do something different and I'm not eating the word myself, it's a me problem. Someone say it's a me problem. It's a mark problem. Not Y'all don't have to say that. Fill in your name. It's, it's a mark problem in my life. And it happens all the time. Why? Because I become unstable in all my ways. Look at what James continues Sorry, insecurity. Someone say insecurity. I got ahead of myself. Nothing more frustrating than insecure people. But nothing more damaging than insecure weddings, insecure marriages. What's up, good looking? Y'all say, hey, babe. That's my babe. Y'all better watch out. I don't know who told us that two insecure people make one secure home. But two insecure people make a broken home. And the reason for insecurity is what I'm going to teach you in the Bible in just a second. Of what James 1 continues to say and what 2 Corinthians 3 says we do with our lives. So I need you to take this as every single one of us. I'm going to try not to rip you around this service. But our wedding day is wonderful. And, and traditionally now, a lot of ladies wear veils and you never have to have it revealed. But traditionally, it was an unveiling. It was, it, was a, it was a first time today. And in some cases, in, in arranged marriages, it was the first time for real that you ever got to see the beauty of your bride. Because they were completely whole. Separated for you. But on our wedding day, we stand before, and there's a revealing, and then there's a coming together. And for the rest of our lives, we're supposed to become one flesh. The problem is, when you have two broken people, veils become a weapon. Because no longer do I want to be unveiled, which means completely exposed of all that I am. I want to veil back so you don't get to find out all the crap in my life. Y'all, it's unnatural. If you, if you live a life unveiled especially with those you're married to, look at me young people, or you're tied to, your closest friends, your family, the people that you've submitted your lives to, your, your student pastors and, and leaders that are in the room. If you tell them all your struggles, you're opening yourself up to criticism and you want, by nature, we want to prove to people how great we are. That's why insecurity manifests itself so clearly, and that word just means shows up out loud in my actions is I want to prove to you how smart I am in the Bible or how much I have it together so I'll veil myself, cover myself, make sure that you don't know all the real side of Mark. 
because you need to believe that I'm really smart in the Bible because you're supposed to show up to my preaching. But that doesn't help anybody. It actually condemns you to a life of lies. Here's what James 1 continues. He says, the problem is we become, we never become doers of the word. He says, I want you to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Deceiving yourselves. How do we deceive ourselves? We cover up our own shame. We cover up our own sin and prove to everybody else by saying, listen, I know all these answers. I can hear the truth, but I never do it. I never walk in what he's, what he's told me to walk in. Can I give you the picture of marriage? That means the only time we walk together is when she walks the aisle and we walk back out. For the rest of our lives, we walk separated. We might lay in a bed together. We might sleep together every once in a while. But the reality is we're completely broken when it comes to my soul and her soul because we're angry at each other for what we thought they'd be and unrealistic expectations and what they're not. So we live frustrated lives, constantly pointing out, deceived in our own hearts. Satan is the deceiver and wants us to be deceived. So he'll ask us to be hardened in our hearts. If anyone is a hearer of the word and does not do it, he's like a man who looks intently in a mirror. And, that, and his natural face, what you can see in the mirror, is right in front of him. For as he looks at himself but then goes away, he forgets. Someone say forget. Say it loud. Say forget. I forget what I look at. I forget what I'm looking at in my own reflection and all my flaws and all my stuff. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the end of this chapter calls it the pure religion that we're supposed to walk into. The problem is Satan loves it when we're religious and not walking in the pure religion. Because what the Bible says is the, that the Bible itself, when we're walking in him, is actually like a mirror and, he'll, and his reflection will change me from the inside out. That if I constantly just say, ooh, listen to what I heard, and I tell you how to change, but I don't let it hit me, I'm the man who looks at himself in the mirror, but because my face is veiled, I can't see what I've looked at anymore. But I have enough. I, now, you can't see much, can you? Mm -hmm. But you can see enough to see them a little bit. Yeah. Blurry. And so even with blurred eyes, because I'm frustrated in a hard heart, I'll point out what you're not. Because if you were doing the right thing for me, Mark, you'd be able to pull this back. Here's the frustrating thing about marriage. On our wedding day, I get to take part in pulling this back. But from that day forward, it's her job to stay unveiled and my job to stay unveiled. And if I think that I have the capability of unveiling by telling them what they're not doing, come on somebody. We got two hardened veiled people wondering why we're not coming together and agreeing. This doesn't work. What's wrong, God? Because if I'm a doer of the word... And not just someone that can go to a Bible study and quote a lot of things, but leave and not do what we talked about doing. Like everybody loves that, that is saved. Saved people love to get together and have history lessons for the next three hours about how much Bible we can learn. I don't care if this bothers y'all. I've just decided I'm going all in. Some of the most frustrating people in my life are the most educated biblical people that I know. Why? Because if they got up here, they preach this way better than me. But you watch their life, they ain't doing none of it. None. But I, there's something more important to that. You have no idea they're the real them. No idea. Because when you see them, this is what you see. 
You think they got it all together. Here's the problem. They don't. Y'all better listen to me. Nobody does. And so anytime I can point out what everybody else should change and the Holy Spirit's voice in my life is not the loudest toward Mark Pangle, I become a Pharisee. I become prideful and filled with pride and all I can do is point out what you should change. And if that's what I hear in my life, I'm in trouble because I'm going to be damaging all of you, especially the ones that I run with because all I'll do is see what you should change. But I never let him change me. And then 2 Corinthians 3, in the same thought is, and, and the passage is talking about the law and how the people of God received the truth, but their hearts were hardened. For when they read it to this day, the old covenant, the veil, someone say veil. Say it loud, say veil. The veil remains like this, unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. The law is the only thing they can see, so they live angrily in the law. Y'all, hard hearts are angry. They're frustrated. They kill people with their mouths. Why? Because I have no freedom when I'm like this. Leah pointed something out that I thought was really cool. She said, even if I let this come off, as long as it stays on that I can put it back on, she said, I didn't know this, it's extremely heavy. Did y'all know that, that veils are heavy? Guys, you probably didn't because if you had a veil on, we can talk afterwards. That's different. (laughs) I don't know. But she said it's very heavy. And this was the thought. You can take it off now because it will be a good example. The thought that I had is how many of us carry stuff on us that we were never supposed to carry because we have the ability to cover up our own sin or cover up ourselves And we carry around something that's heavy that makes our head and our shoulders and we feel pain. And we wonder why we feel these things, but we can't point out everybody else's stuff if we're exposed to the truth. The first thing we see is always mine. Matter of fact, I want to give you an example. You don't have to put it on. I mean, if you want to, you can, but it's heavy. Thursday of this week, Leah and I were... We both had a day is all I'm going to tell you. It was crazy. I got home. I had been on the phone right before. And I literally, from the time the day started, was with people, with people, with people, with people, talking to stuff, fixing stuff. And I got done, and I walked in the door, and I greeted. Laney wasn't home. Thank the Lord you didn't hear this. I I walked in the door and said, babe, I need about 30 minutes. My brain, I just got to refocus. By the way, this is how spiritual I am. The thing at church that you thought was Friday is actually Saturday night. And she said, what are you talking about? I knew it was Friday. Yeah, there you go, see? Freudian slip. She said, I knew it was Saturday. She fixed me again. Put that veil on. She said, <laughs> she said, she said, what are you talking about? I knew it was Saturday. And I see, right then, what I should have said is, who cares? I didn't. I said, what do you mean you knew it was Saturday? Leah, I sat beside you and Laney at the basketball game on Tuesday night, and you, we literally were talking about the Friday night girls thing at the youth for church. By the way, this is a church thing. Praise the Lord. Y'all give me some credit. 
help me, Jesus. I, and I, we started on this fight. And then, and then I started pointing out to her all the things that she is good at and how she's not doing it for me right now and I need her right now. And all of this was me building up and about to explode because I was pointing out her flaws, but I wasn't at fault at all at this moment. Y'all better listen. At all. Now, I am thankful to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that none of y'all were in that room. Because I raised my voice. I acted like a three-year-old. I was angry. I said things like this. What is the matter with you? I just want to go be in peace. And you're fighting and you never fight because you're a peacemaker and now you're deciding to fight. Ah! That's literally what happened. Only God can judge me. Only God. And I walk in and I'm just stewing. I was like, what is the matter with you? And she actually never does this. I'm telling you, 20 years of marriage, I can count on one hand how many times she's followed me in. I'm the follower in. I want to keep fighting. <laughs> Leah just, she's, she'd rather not ever fight one day in her life. She followed me in. I'm laying on my bed trying to get my thoughts, and I look at her and say, for real, I'm going to throw my shoe. I'm about to go bananas on your head. And I yelled something else. I can't even remember exactly what I yelled, but I was like, get, get out! And I'm sitting there stewing. I am so peed off. I know you can't say it, but I thought about it. I'm so angry. And I'm like, how could she not think of me? I had worse than ever. I'm saying this out loud. She probably heard it. But I'm talking to myself. As God is my witness, in that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit, which is ironic because you're not supposed to right there, say, what lies are you believing? And is your heart getting hard? He didn't say these words. He said, and I quote, I wonder what her day was like. I was like, hush your mouth, Holy Ghost. <laughs> it's not what I wanted to talk about right this minute. Because right before that, what I'm leaving out is Leah came back in because she is truly amazing at apologizing and getting things right. And it wasn't, it was less than five minutes after we had been by ourselves for a minute. Less than five minutes she came back in to apologize and this is what I did. I'm going to need a minute. I'm going to be all good. She's going to let me be angry for about five more minutes. So she left me alone. And in that next period of time is when the Lord put on my heart, ask her about her day. And as soon as I did, I brought her back in. I said, I, didn't, I don't even think I said the Lord anything. I just said, you know what? I have enough spiritual and social awareness that I can realize that if both of us are coming at each other, then both of us had a day. So tell me about your day. I think we talked for an hour that night, dealing with the situation, digging in, me listening, but the reality is we've learned how to fight. We didn't die on that hill. We shot each other. <laughs> but we didn't shoot to kill. Are y'all with me? We didn't say things that were lifelong. We didn't bring up old stuff. We just, in the moment, we were really angry. And I was angry, y'all. And the, and the opportunity, I, I, I'm telling y'all this for, for a reason, the opportunity to get hard-hearted and put up a veil was there. I've learned this. You have an opportunity every single day. And especially if you're married, you have opportunities every day of your life. And if you constantly live with a veil, here's how you can know you're you. If you point out everybody else's flaws and the only thing in your life is complaining, 
then it's a veiled heart. Yeah, but Mark, you don't understand how bad my job is. I'm understanding that God sent you there for a reason. To change the environment that you're in. And if all you do is complain, you reap what you sow. And I understand people at your school might not be awesome and they might not be kind. But if you allow your heart to become veiled, the only thing that you'll see is you'll forget what you look like and you won't even ask the Lord to show you. The only time, listen, in our prayer time, if the only thing we do is ask God to change other people, it's a me problem. Because the thing that I need changed more than anything else that I am aware of at this moment, and I'm not telling you this to impress you, to me it should be unimpressive. (laughs) I should be able to tell you all the things you should do and because I've already done them. I'm working on it, and I'm letting him have me. And he sure has changed me a heck of a lot. But he's got a lot to go. Why? Because I have an unsubmitted heart several days of the week. Because no matter how much I pursue him, I'm a man that is broken, desperately needing the Holy Spirit to fill me. And because, y'all listen, because as long as I omit being a man of presence in the Holy Spirit, Because I don't know why this is, but if you ask people to come pray, you'll get nine women and one man. If you ask people to come worship, you'll get nine women and one man. But to find a man that is radically in love with Jesus, that wants to go in, that a week before him, that'll go after it, is unusual. And every day of my life, that's what I ask the Lord I want to be. I don't need more stuff. I don't need great things. I just want what he's got for my life. But if I'm not that man, then I'm this man. And this man will break his wife. This man will break his friends. This man will hurt people in his life and I'll constantly, the only thing that will make me feel better, y'all better get this, this is life changing for me. Is when I get more religious, I start feeling a little bit better. But that is just as damaging as drugs. I'm telling you. I know pastors aren't supposed to say that, but before God, I believe it. The most pious spiritual people are the ones who you don't want to model your life after. You shouldn't follow someone because they know the Bible. You should follow someone because they do the Bible. Because ultimately it's not who we follow, it's whose we are. And all of us will end up in this place and we'll say things like this, how did I end up here? It's a guarantee. That's why it's better to be single. Because if you can get this right, single, I'm sorry, babe. If you can get this right, single. If you can get this right, single. If you can get this part of it right, where you walk into your marriage, you will have lots of days where it feels like you want to put it back on. But here's the cool thing. Matthew 27 says that Jesus, as he is finishing, as his life is over, he's on the cross, he's crying out, it's done, I've, I've, I've finished, I've been on this. He's been on the cross, he's bled out, he's got nails in his hands and feet, pierced in his side, he's done everything that every prophecy has said he was going to do and it says Jesus passionately cried out and took his last breath into your hands I commit my spirit he cried out it is finished to tell us and then look at that moment the veil now you can take it off because I was going to pull you here the veil was torn the veil was torn that doesn't mean the veil opened up and now we can come in but put it back on that means the veil is now down where was the veil torn in the holy of holies so, so when Adam and Eve sinned that man walked with God, then sin wouldn't let us because we couldn't be in his presence. But what happened is the Holy of Holies is no longer in a temple made by human hands where only a high priest can go in. The Holy of Holies is now, guess who? Me and you, inside of our hearts when we trust Jesus. 
the only way I lose access to the Holy of Holies, the only way I lose access to the presence of God is when I decide I want to put it back on and get hard-hearted. When I decide I don't want to submit my life to Jesus every single day, submitting myself fully and completely, I surrender all to Jesus one time to be saved and every single day from there, there, there on to walk with him. Otherwise, I'll go back to my old ways. This is the problem, y'all, going back to the beginning. We dream, ladies, about our wedding day. What's it going to be like? I get to put on a veil. I get to walk. I get to have this, and these people will show up, and it's awesome. I'm not putting it down. I'm grateful for August 4, 2001. But if the only thing, y'all better get this because I'm done. If the only thing I could do in my life was tell you about my wedding day, and then from then on, I've learned cool stuff about Leah. So, so hear me, y'all, y'all get this practically. If I could give you a million facts about my wife because I've learned things about her. And I actually had a day where I walked an aisle and I said, I do to her, and I said, you're mine and I'm yours. But if all I've done is learn facts about her, but I've never cried with her and walked with her and, and done the partnership that God called us to have because one is in the lead, but we're still partners. We still walk arm in arm. We still cry together. We agree together. We, we won't make decisions unless two agree. We, we believe in the unity and the sanctity of the home even when we want to punch each other. And we do. Not punch each other, but want to. But if all I've ever done my whole life is learn stuff about her, then no wonder it doesn't feel real because that's what religion does to you. What religion does to you is make you get filled up with information but never impartation of we are one flesh together. And as long as I am not walking with her, young people, you don't need to get married to the him or the her until you get married to the he. Because once I get him and I begin intimately walking with him, y'all, if this doesn't blow your mind, I'm not doing a good job. What no human being on planet earth had access to do, you not only have access, it's in you. The Holy Spirit lives in me. The helper did not just come. He came and resided in my heart when I trust Jesus. Why would I want to put a veil on when he wants to take it off, but not just remove it back, but throw it out forever and say, no longer is that your life. You can be free in Christ and free indeed. The only reason we live hard-hearted is because we decide, Leah, if they find out what I'm really like, they'll never want to. They'll always believe. I'll believe I have to prove myself. I'll live in a jail cell that I built. I'll constantly try to be enough for you and them and everybody else and ultimately for her and for her and for my little boy in the kids area. And knowing all this information, I'll never be a great daddy and I'll never be a great husband and I'll never be a great pastor because I'll be full of information and hard with the Holy Spirit. God didn't send Jesus for a get-out-of-hell-free card, and that's it. He didn't send Jesus so you could talk about your wedding day and live like you never got married. He sent Jesus so you could have a singular focus the rest of your life of being filled with his spirit every single day and walking hand-in-hand in his purpose, in his glory, seeing people not for all their flaws, but letting them... Reflection that the 
the Bible says you can see when I continue to let Jesus change me because you no longer see Mark Pangle, you begin to see him. That's his goal, that the refiner wipes away all that impurity. And the more that I let him have access to me, the more that you see what he wants you to see, and that's him, not me. This is all about Jesus. And the reason marriage is so hard is because we've never figured out our first marriage, Jesus. We've never figured out our first love. We always get frustrated that he doesn't do what we think he should, and we got to throw all that mess out and say, Jesus, look what you did. Look how much you love us. I'll follow you anywhere. Your life will change radically when you throw down all that old mess that you believed about your marriage, married people, and begin to see your spouse through the eyes of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't see our flaws. Jesus sees a forgiven whole man. And married women, if you begin to see married or whole men, you'll speak to them like they're whole even when they're not. Married men, you'll speak to your wives as the beautiful bride that they are, not as the dog that you've created them to be in your mind. But no unwhole people are going to speak to people holy, different, set apart. It'll be crude and devastating and will tear our brothers and sisters down. Why? Y'all look at me. It's not bad people that tear each other down. It's broken people. God wants to pick up the pieces and change our lives. And I believe in this series, God's going to do a lot. He's going to heal some marriages. He's going to heal some, some homes. But I started this series with the, what I thought God wanted me to do, and it's this. It's better to be married whole. Excuse me, it's better to be single whole than married broken. And the first thing you need to do, young people, is marry Jesus. And I know that's cliche and funny sounding. But if you don't marry Jesus first, the other one ain't going to be right. And married people, I don't care if your marriage is at the end and you don't think there's any hope. I promise you, if you stop worrying about your spouse and start worrying about you in Christ, taking that veil off and being real with people saying, you know what? I have this issue. I have this struggle. It'll change your life. And I promise you, if you keep doing it more than a week, Just stay with it. They'll see. And it will radically change your home. So God, our goal for this series is not to impress people and not people walk away and say, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. You know what? There's a lot of messages I can remember how good they were, but I didn't have any love handles. I didn't have anything I could grab and take home. And I'm not interested in that, Lord. I want you to change us, starting with me. God, I believe that you created marriage as a picture of what our relationship with you looks like and that the world should be able to look at the Christian and say, I want what they got. But until we've got what they don't in you, why would they want what we have? So God, change us. May we submit ourselves to you fully and completely. May insecurity and pride be gone. And may we not try to prove ourselves to anyone because we're proven in Christ so we can be available to do whatever you ask us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all stand and sing.